Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. And today we're going to be talking about the 13th episode of the first season of Supernatural, uh, entitled Route 666. Jamie, what did you think? I fucking called it, okay? Last week you were like, what do you think Route 666 is going to be? And like, okay, I was a little bit off. It wasn't a portal to hell. Yeah. It wasn't a portal to hell. But it was a fucking cheesy as shit episode. (laughs) Wow. You want to elaborate? This episode was definitely written by white people, right? Uh, yes, I think so. By Clemming, right? Let me Google their faces. I mean, full disclaimer, like, we are white people too. Mm. But also, like, sometimes you can just see when media about racism is written by white people. Um, also, yes, they are. They look like this. So they're oh. also older white people. Very much white people. Yeah. Like, like maximum white people. Yeah. Okay, I think it's time for this week's PSA. Are you ready, Beth? I am so ready for your PSA, Jamie. My PSA for this week? Black Lives Matter. Don't be a racist douchebag. Educate yourself. Research things. Actually, put in some goddamn effort and don't just jump on the bandwagon whenever it comes around. Yeah, Black Lives Matter isn't just an Instagram hashtag and it's not just a way to promote yourself. Like It's a really, really important... Uh, movement and we should all be supporting it uh, in the best ways we can and yeah absolutely get educated and specifically get educated using resources and listening to the voices of people of color and people who are actually personally impacted by this horrible situation what strikes me about this episode is they go in with obviously the angle racism is bad so that's fair enough i'm not complaining about i'm not gonna give them props for that because it goes without saying However, it's not what, a hot take. It's not a hot take, exactly. What strikes me about this episode is how often in the dialogue they revert to a phrase or a similar phrase where they essentially go, back then, or back in those days, or, you know, in the past. And it's always in this sort of sense of like, back when racism existed. And I'm kind of sitting there like, this aired in 2005, it's now 2021. Every issue. Every, like, problem with with police and with unnecessary brutality and all these things that you're discussing as issues that, according to your dialogue, kind of only existed in the 60s is still hugely prevalent 16 years after this episode aired. I think what gets me is not only are they basically going, oh, racism ended in the 60s, but they also take this perspective of Racism was only a thing in the South. Or only in America as well. I mean, obviously in this particular instance, they're not going to be talking about racism in other areas or other cultures, but... uh, The way they're dismissing it feels like to me, they were like, oh, but it was, you know, the South in the 60s, so therefore there was racism. They're not presenting it as like, oh, it was America in the 60s, therefore there was racism. It was like, oh, it's the South in the 60s, therefore racism. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like I was saying, they seem to keep referring back to back then and even towards the end of the episode when Cassie and her mom are talking with Sam and Dean and her mom whose name eludes me is discussing how her husband Cassie's father I think his name was Martin killed Cyrus in self-defense and Dean says why didn't he call the cops and she looks at him and goes this was 40 years ago which is a fair enough for her to be saying that because what a what a comment from Dean. Like, Jesus Christ, I wonder why a black man in the 60s 
who's just killed a white man in self-defense wouldn't bloody ring the cops. Exactly. I wonder what could go wrong there. And for so many reasons, obviously, (laughs) like, even, even if he hadn't killed him, even if he had just knocked him out or incapacitated him in some way, again, in self-defense, because this dude has been going around murdering people left, right, and center, including, um, you know, as her mum brings up, a church full of children, and the cops are doing nothing. And if also, he had called got... the police and they had shown up, he would have been lucky to survive that interaction. You've also got to remember, though, that, like, it starts because Martin is bound and getting beaten by Cyrus. Who will kill him. Who will kill him. Like, it is very much, like, it is not, like, a grey area self-defence thing. It is, he managed to free himself, took the bat, and then was incapacitating the person who was going to him kill black him. and blue. And this isn't Cyrus going into it either with a, like, this isn't like a random robbery. This isn't like, I'm beating you up so I can rob you. This is, I'm beating you up because I want you to die. There is no question in the intent here. So, you know, I just thought this this comment that it's like, you know, oh, this was 40 years ago. And like I said, it's still so relevant now. And it's so infuriating that we're still having these same conversations. Not only 40 years, you know, after in terms of the episode, but now another 16 years after this episode has aired. Obviously, 2020, we had so many huge discussions and political movements involved with the Black Lives Matter, which I'm just going to, for a blanket statement, say Jamie and I are both heavily in support of Black Lives Matter and everything that they are doing as a movement. We are trying to be actively informed of what we are able to do to support the movement while also recognising that it is not our place to talk on behalf of the movement because it is not our reality that we live in as Mm. white people in Australia. And that's a whole other thing and a different kettle of fish. One thing that was interesting in this episode is when Jimmy and Cassie are speaking to, I don't remember if they even give his name, but he must be sort of like the head of the newspaper that they work for. I thought it was the mayor. Was it the mayor? Maybe it was. I can't remember. I just remember. I am, I'm, I'm not a good example. I'm very face blind, <laughs> especially like middle-aged white men in movies. I watched Les Mis, right? And I couldn't tell the difference between Russell Crowe as, oh, what's his name? The inspector. I've literally never seen Les Mis in, seen... in any capacity. So. so you've got Russell Crowe as the inspector and then Hugh Jackman as Javert. Yeah. I could not tell the difference between them for most of the movie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I love Hugh Jackman, but I honestly could not pick Russell Crowe out of a lineup. I mean, all you have to do is like just Google Chris in Google Images and there'll be like a million white men who all look essentially the same. So I'm Googling it so that I can show you. <laughs> show me that their faces are the same. Well, they're not. That's the thing. <laughs> just your inability to distinguish between them is... Okay, so I'll show you this image and then I'll show you the other image. Yeah. So that's Hugh Jackman and he is standing with Russell Crowe's character there. Oh, they do look kind of similar in that. Yes. But one of them has very obvious facial hair. I don't know how that couldn't have been your distinction. <laughs> the entire movie shot like a supernatural episode. <laughs> so it's too dark. It's too dark. And for a lot of the movie, he has like, Hugh Jackman has stubble. Yeah. So, okay. so, <laughs> so the, point is, say, the point is you don't know which one is which. No. The only way I can vaguely tell is by looking at the clothing. And like, that's fine when Hugh Jackman's character is essentially a beggar. Yeah. But when Hugh Jackman's character is a wealthy middle-aged white dude, yeah. and then Russell Crowe's character is a wealthy middle-aged white dude, the clothes are similar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I can't tell the difference because I am face blind. Uh, so bringing it back to Supernatural. So the reason I bring up 
this scene is because there's this dialogue in it where basically Cassie and Jimmy are saying to this random guy who may or may not be the mayor, this is the story we want to run. And he's basically saying, no, there's no story there. And what's really interesting is I'm actually reading a book at the moment called White Feminism, and it's by an American journalist named Koa Beck. And first of all, I would highly recommend it as a book. It's a very interesting read. It's very thorough and I'm learning a lot but in a very very broad generalization the book is about white supremacy within the feminist movement and it also highlights the important strides that have been made by black and other POC people over the years um, and how it has often been undermined by white women particularly and obviously white men in general anyway that's a very broad generalization of the book but I would highly recommend it. One of the things that she brings up being a black woman who was also a journalist is that often she would make pitches for stories that she wanted to to write or to investigate or delve further into. And often she would be knocked back with replies like it's too niche. And essentially it was the professional way of saying white women won't want to read about that. Like you're not marketing to the correct audience. It's interesting that they've shown in the episode essentially some older white guy saying this story isn't going to run, it's not interesting enough, there's no story there, like, you know, that he's telling them, he says to them, you're too close to this. And it's like, hmm, why would the, like, for example, Jimmy, the black man whose, you know, close friends are dying on this random stretch of road and the town seems to want to do nothing about it, why might he be interested in talking about this as as a news story. And, like, the fact that he says that they're too close to it, it's like, fuck off, <laughs> you know? Like, of course they're close to it. But that doesn't mean that it's not important. That doesn't mean that it's not relevant. That doesn't mean it's not worth talking about. And I just thought it was incredibly interesting because the book was only published, or it was either late 2020 or early 2021. Like, it's a very recent publication. And like I said before, like, this is going back, this aired in 2005. So it's just this constant sort of framing of these things that were problems aren't really problems anymore. It's very frustrating. And I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to be a person who is of colour watching this and being like, how is this still the case? Because I know how frustrated I am as a white person watching it. One last thing I did want to mention before we go ahead with our uh, programmed bullshit is... When Cassie uh, goes to the crime scene, when Jimmy's been in the car accident, so this is now, I think, the third victim, and she's talking to the mayor. She's saying, would you care if the victims were white? And he says, are you calling me a racist? I'm the last person you should be saying that to. You should ask your mother. And it's sort of like, you can still have implicit bias. Like, would you close the road if the victims were white is still a valid question, irrelevant to what your political beliefs are. Because implicit bias is still a factor. It's one thing to be overtly racist and, you know, make a lot of statements or and have your actions reflect those beliefs. But there is another side of it where it's like, you may not realise the things that you as a white person take for granted. And you might not realise the subconscious and implicit biases that you have just because you are privileged in that sense of you don't think about these things. You know, and like we talked about, Dean just says, why didn't you call the cops? That's a fantastic example. If he was in that situation, he could just call the police and not worry about it. 
just I think it's interesting to point out that his immediate response is, I'm not racist. How dare you accuse me of being racist? Look at this thing that I did in the past as proof that I'm not racist. And what gets me, though, is he actually does have valid reasons for not shutting down that stretch of road because it is the main road into town and it would severely limit people being able to move in and out. Like, it's not like it's a little side road. Yeah. But instead of even examining his actions of, oh, well, like, no, these are the reasons why I'm not shutting the road down, not because I don't care that people are dying, Mm. but because I cannot shut this road down. It's not feasible. Without a whole bunch of logistical issues. Yeah. Side note. Saying you're not racist is it's a little bit of a red flag for me. Yeah. And I think especially in this particular instance, like, you're right. He does raise some logistical concerns. You know, it's the main road in and out of town. But maybe they could put, like, like a sign out that's just, like, reduce speeds, like, bad driving conditions. They could have someone, like, who's just patrolling that particular area of the road. They could install safety, like, side... Um, It's like the little fence on the side of the road you get sometimes, like side rails. Safety rails, that's the one. There are things that he could do to combat it that prevent those logistical things that he brings up as excuses. And I'm going to call them excuses because I've just explained to you how they're easy to overcome. So, you know, there are things you can do. You could put up signs that advertise that it's dangerous conditions. You could put up fencing. You could do so many things. And they're choosing not to. Look, like I was saying, there are things that they can do to overcome these issues that he's talking about. But also, like, yes, you could actually close the road. You could. Three people have died in the same manner in the same stretch of road. In six weeks period. In within a couple of, like, months of each other. That is definitely enough grounds to look at temporarily closing a road and at least investigating if there's anything they can do to improve the safety. But you know? it's, it is very weird that instead of just being like, these are the logistical concerns that I would have for shutting the road, he goes, oh, I'm not racist. Yeah. Like, when I mean, she to- does accuse him, yeah. which is what prompts him to say it. But yes, it's like... Instead of him going, oh, I'm the least racist person, blah, 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 blah. If he just went, look, we're not shutting the road because of this factor, this factor, this factor, this factor, this factor... Yeah, he that, doesn't back up his previous statements. No. Yeah, he just goes, well, you're I'm just... I'm not racist. Yeah, and it's like... Okay, bro. Back to our uh, previously scheduled bullshit. I wanted to talk about the car. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, you've got thoughts on that? I have thoughts on the car. Please share. It's like a monster truck, literally. But also, Mm. I didn't realise that's what trucks look like in the 60s. Like, that was really weird to me. Yeah, here's the thing. It's kind of like, in the US, they refer to it as like a truck. We Mm. call a ute. And what we would call a truck is, I think, what they call a semi. We sort of just call everything a truck. Yeah, if if it's got a detachable front and a trailer, like if there's a cabin and a trailer that are detachable from each other, it's just a truck. Yes, whereas if it's like sort of the bed is attached to the main car, the back of the ute, if that is attached, it's a ute. Yeah, if if it's open as well. If it's open, it's non-detachable, it's it's a a ute. ute. If it is detachable, it becomes a trailer. So... (laughs) Depending. So if you've got an open bed space that is detachable, that is a trailer. If you have an open bed space that is permanently attached, that is a ute. And if you've got a enclosed space that is permanently attached, that's like a big van or a small truck. And if you've got... Or maybe an SUV. Oh, but that's got seats and stuff in it. Like I would call... That's a boot if it's part of an SUV. God damn. (laughs) This is way too much logistic. (laughs) And then if you've got a a big 
like either one big or multiple big enclosed beds they that are detachable that becomes a just it's just a truck maybe it is an accurate truck because like i just googled like classic american trucks and like like you do get like these fuckers See, that's just a big fucking ute. That's just a ute on stilts. Whether it's a ute or not, it does kind of look like the truck they use. So maybe it was more accurate than I thought, but I'm just looking yeah, at it. Yeah, because, like, American truck is very different to Australian truck. Yeah, they're not the sort of trucks that I'm anticipating seeing in the 60s, you know what I mean? Yeah. 60s ute. Let's have a look. I just Googled that. 60s. And I... Yeah, it looks completely fucking different. This looks like Tomato from Cars. <laughs> No, no, I, I googled 60s truck America. So if you get like the big... Oh, okay. So because I've specified youth then. So yes, 60s, you've made it Australian. 60s truck. Okay. Yeah, like some it, of like the Jeep trucks do look more like the truck they use. It doesn't have the big like exhaust pipe though that like comes out, the big silver things that were on the side. But yes, it didn't, it didn't give me a 60s vibe, to be fair. We weren't alive in the 60s, so I no. guess we can't really, like... <laughs> not experts. We're also not car historians, so... Yeah. Um, one thing I did really like, though, uh, speaking of the cars, is when uh, Cassie's dad, Martin, is is driving away from it at the very start before we even get the title card. There's a shot where you just see his eyes in the rearview mirror, and I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was, like, a fun... Like, it's an angle we haven't sort of seen before, and I feel like it really captured, like, the fear in him as it was happening and also puts you in the perspective of and I really like this in horror in general where you can't see the thing that's coming but the person on screen can because I think that makes it more effective because your imagination will always be scarier than anything that they can show you on screen so they establish early on that the truck can sort of like disappear and reappear in a different spot right yes yeah but then the entire climax is dependent on the fact that the car sort of drives in a straight line at the end yeah why would it not just reappear somewhere else well sort of recap where we're at in the episode because we've like skipped from the very beginning to literally the very end you didn't tell me how to do this linearly no i'm just keep people in the loop sam very specifically says to dean you need to drive exactly i think it's seven tenths of a mile which like how the fuck they did that quick math i don't anyway wow um but also like when he rings cassie up he's like i need you some exact answers like it's very important and you don't have time. It's like, wow, that's no pressure fucking at all, yeah. is it? Um, but anyway, so Dean stops right on the church. So it doesn't kind of matter where the truck appears. It would have to, to get to him, it would have to drive across the consecrated ground, which was like the whole yes. point. So it doesn't really matter where the truck reappears. The point is it can't drive where Dean is. So when yes. it does, it's destroyed. No, my my point was not like the logistics. Like I understand exactly what you're saying. Like it doesn't matter where on the holy ground the truck is, the racist truck dies. Mm-hmm. No, I'm more meaning like, wow, this truck that can appear and reappear at random decides to ram head on into Dean. Like that's that was the choice the car made. Yeah, for the drama. For the drama. It wants oh. the, it wants him to be full of fear. Also, I just have to mention, I cannot believe that they introduced in season one the lore of cars in the afterlife and we all just collectively forgot and then were confused by the Impala going to heaven. Like, I was watching this going, oh, this is the car that went to hell and became, like, <laughs> this is the car that was a ghost. Like, we knew cars could be ghosts. How did we forget that? <laughs> Okay, like, I'm not going to touch that bullshit with a 10 foot pole. But while we're talking about ghost cars, 
Mm. I do have another point I want to make. If it's a ghost car, can it go through walls? Like, ghosts can go through walls. Can ghost cars go through walls? <sighs> Here's the thing. Logistically, tell me. Do you, you know? I would say yes. I would say that the car has the same limitations as any spirit's ghost because it's technically not the car that is the ghost. It is the spirit that is manifesting in the form, I think, because a car can't have a ghost. <laughs> Like, a car, here's the thing, okay? You know how people say, like, babies aren't born racist, right? Because it's a learned behavior. Cars aren't, they don't roll off the manufacturing line racist. I mean, <laughs> like, I guess it depends on what sort of brand of car it is. I guess, but, like... I mean, some car brands are born in Nazi fucking Germany. I okay. feel like they're producing racist cars. Okay, I will clarify. Let's assume, for the sake of the argument, the car is sentient, okay? I'm not talking We're just about, accepting that. And I'm not... <laughs> Yeah, that's important to the plot. The people who make the car, they can be racist and objects can be made that are inherently racist. Okay, we're in agreement on that. However, the car itself as a sentient being isn't created with racist... Like, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, it has to be the influence of the spirit of the person who was racist that then influenced the car... So then I'm thinking maybe it's not nece- it's not necessarily the, the ghost of the car because that's stupid. What I don't understand is why the ghost of the car was necessary at all. Um, it wasn't. Why would they make... <laughs> it was just a terrible choice. If it was a ghost car with a ghost inside, I would understand. If you could still see the racist ghost inside the car. Well, they make the reference to the ghost ship as well. Yeah, they try to compare it to like a... I forget the name. Davy Jones's ship. That's the one. Occupied by other ghosts. I think like, they typically... actually do cover that in a later episode too. I think, I'm pretty sure there's a ghost ship episode. Yes, so that's what they're trying to so... say. Right, but Davy Jones's ship, every iteration of that I've ever heard, it still has like the ghost crew on it. Yeah. Like it's not just like a random ship. Just vibing. Just vibing by itself, like doing all of its own shit. Like I would kind of understand the ghost car if there was also a ghost driving the car. But it's like and a ghost, the ghost filling it just... up with petrol, and a ghost servicing, and a ghost. <laughs> it's Bob. <laughs> no, it's no, not. It's Bob say... would never be a racist. So I know that during the Hookman episode, we spent a lot of time going on about. Or I say we. I spent a lot of time hyper focusing on the melting points of silver and all That's of these very things. Self reflection. Yes. And self awareness, Bethany. You Thank you. <laughs> My therapist is very proud. <laughs> um, which is something that's both possible to achieve and normal to want. <laughs> I got an A plus in therapy. No, so okay, so we've established that it's a ghost car. Yeah, and therefore it's bound by the same rules of ghosts. Yes. Then why can it not go through the walls and kill Cassie in the house? Riddle yeah. me this. Well, I think in the episode they're like they want her to be afraid, which kind of comes back to what we were talking about in Wendigo about like marinating in your own fear juices. But the ghost truck literally... doesn't eat them. I know, but like there's no. <laughs> so there's why no... does it need the fear juices? And then again, it comes back to like, is the truck sentient or is it the ghost of Cyrus manifesting as a truck? Because yeah, like it's they basically say, well, they want you to be afraid. Here's a thing that confuses me about the law regarding ghosts and specifically how it pertains to this episode. Yeah. In Hookman, we had the whole thing about how they had to melt the hook, right? Because essentially the same theory. So it wasn't the body of the guy, but it was an, like, in this case, an appendage 
um, because it was like the essential like prosthetic, like the hook instead of the yes. head, right? But it was still uh, an, an object that was a tether for him. Yes. In this instance, the tether for Cyrus is the car, right? Because Which, it's, why? Look, it's, I understand why the hook and hook man is a tether because it was literally something that he lived with. How attached to your car do you have to be for it to be a tether for your ghost? Have you ever met a middle-aged white man? <laughs> Look, I don't think I have to explain any more than that. They love their cars. But I think also in this instance, like, the car was so tied to the crimes that were committed, and also it was where he was, like, entombed, I guess. So I feel like that probably has a part to play in it as well. What I wanted to bring up was it's essentially the same theory. So the hook... And the car, they were both inanimate objects that were intimately tied to the people who died. And that is why they are their tether in the afterlife, right? In Hookman, Hookman is in the church. Yes. Holy ground. And he's just fine. He is actually actively trying to murder them. Yeah. In this episode, Sam's thought process, bearing in mind this is like, what, like four or five weeks later in canon time, is that the spirit can't cross holy ground. So he puts Dean on the church and then they bait the car into driving through. But it's the same fucking theory. If that happened, and like they even say, Dean was like, how did you know that was going to work? Sam was like, well, I, I didn't. Like, it happens sometimes, maybe. It, I guess it didn't occur to me if it didn't work. And Dean was like, I'm going to fucking kill him. And but that is valid. It's, yeah. It's this really funny moment of like, damn. But it's also like, we know. We now have like a 50-50 ratio. The spirit crosses the like holy ground and it doesn't die. And the spirit crosses the holy ground and it does die. I just, I thought it was... Maybe it's something about... Because you've got to remember Hookman, the spirit that was Hookman, was a holy man before he became Hookman. I mean, Because he was a so. priest before he went insane, murdered a bunch of prostitutes and died. Yeah. Which is like... Supernatural is a show. It is a show. It has plots. <laughs> Derogatory. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like maybe maybe that is it, but also like ma- maybe it's just like you know the children ghosts are trapped on the holy ground oh, and I they guess... hated the racist dude so much because like he he did burn them alive. Yeah, so maybe it's actually also related to the crimes committed in that particular space, but that's not the reason they give no. in the episode. The reason they give in the episode is that it's holy ground. This which... is this case of, like, it's not that deep, but, we... like, we're trying to find <laughs> yeah. the depth. Well, like, we are, like, bending our knees, like, crouching down, trying to pretend it's deeper than it is. We're, we're giving them more credit than they deserve. <laughs> yes. I mean, this entire episode was kind of, like, weird in terms of the tonality of it. Yeah. Like, there are moments where it's like, wow, we are talking about this very serious issue about the crimes committed against people of colour. And the entire premise of the episode is in the 60s, this dude, because he was essentially butt hurt because someone broke up with him, hmm. decided to abduct and murder like a bunch of black men. Like, And then the cops essentially did nothing about it. It is insane to me that in an episode where they are, like, I mean, they're rightfully so framing racism as like racism is bad. Terrible, yes. Again, icy cold take, but it's this case of like they take this episode where they've clearly tried to do like this big grand social justice equality message and then they undercut it with these moments that are just weirdly comedic yeah like by making the villain personified as a weird truck yeah also like as much as i enjoy the comedy towards the end of this episode it does feel kind of like wow they really just started kind of like throwing in one-liners 
And I I don't know. And to be fair, we've also structured this episode like, okay, we're going to cover the more important, like, intense things first up, and then we're going to do some bullshit. But this is a different situation. This, this isn't different- scripted. This no. isn't, like, a, a, a plotted episode. This is just us yapping at each other. Yeah. Th- this is a conversation we're having, and we did want to make sure that we addressed... The significance. The fucking elephant in the room first. Yeah. And then we can move along to all of the little bits that we found really funny about the episode. Or, or weird or whatever Weird else. or whatever, yeah. like we would normally do. But we did want to make sure that up front we were very open and honest about what our thought processes were. This is just a random ass TV episode. Like, it's not a conversation about the state of racism in America. It is not a conversation about a heavy topic where... They've sort of gone, okay, we need to actually address and look at some of the complexities of this issue. That's not what's happening here. It's like an episode where they were like, oh, yes, like this is a very heavy topic. We're going to take this very seriously. And it's like, it feels like they forgot, you know, midway through the episode. It just feels like they forgot that they were actually doing an episode about what is a serious topic. Yeah, this is something that I wanted to bring up actually about Uh, Buck Lemming as a writing duo say what you will about Supernatural and its production and the writers and the creative teams Buck Lemming seemingly across most of the fan base tend to be known for poorer quality episodes considering it's Supernatural that says something yeah and I'm fairly certain like bearing in mind I you know obviously when you're in fandom on the internet you're in your own little bubbles this could be just the bubble that I'm in. But from what I have seen, it seems to be a general take that Buck Lemming episodes, usually the pacing is weird and it's just, they tend to have a lot of recurring themes that are pretty dark and mostly unnecessary in a lot of cases. They tend to have a lot of like weird, unnecessary sexual encounters or implications, which even in this episode, there is a sex scene between um, Dean and Cassie. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But it was, like, unnecessarily long. I don't know if it was just me who felt that, but I got to a point where I was like, I don't know why I'm still watching this. Like, I get the point. Um, And, you know, so those sorts of things are kind of token to their episodes, Um, especially, like, as it goes down the track. But one thing that I remember reading somewhere about their writing process in particular, and I don't remember where I read it, so I may be incorrect, but I believe that part of their process is... They basically divvy up the episode and they write separately and then come back together to like stitch together the scenes, which is why you have some sections that seem to have one tone and some sections that seem to have like a completely different tone because two people have written them separately and then they've kind of sewn them together at the very end. So they've done exactly what every uni professor ever says to you, which is like, do not do your group work separately. Yeah. And then just put it all in the same Google Doc at the end. That's exactly what they did, but they did it for network television. They did it for like 15 years because they're they write all the way through 15 seasons. Actually, I think they actually wrote the second last episode. That episode was also terrible. Oh, and the Notorious are bringing back characters that everyone fucking hates. And I don't know why they do it. Um, While we're talking about characters, can we talk about Cassie for a second? Absolutely. The one bit of the episode I liked. I love her. She's a good character. She's so I'll good. I'll give them that. Yeah. And oh, actually, while we're talking about Cassie, first of all, I love Sam in this episode. He is so fun. I know that we've talked a lot about how the, we 
we haven't had a lot of character development for Sam. We haven't really gotten a lot of personality out of him, especially when in comparison with Dean. But I feel like in this episode, his young sibling energy was off the charts. He is just like giving him shit left, right and center. He's like, oh, so Cassie, you've never mentioned her, you know? I'm like, so you dated half for like more than one night? He's just like ribbing him the whole time. And it's so fun. But also he has some really dumb moments in this episode. Sam. Yeah, specifically about Cassie. When Dean basically says, like, I told Cassie, like, everything, and she thought I was crazy, he is like, oh, but you told me never to do that. And it's like, Sam, did you ever consider that maybe this is the reason Mm. that he told you not to tell anybody? Jesus Christ. And also he goes, like, after learning this information about two, three, four scenes later, he basically goes to Dean, oh, so, like, why did you dump her? And it's like, did you not hear anything your brother said earlier? about yeah. how he told Cassie everything and Cassie thought he was insane. Mm. Like, do you really think Dean dumped Cassie? Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And Jensen plays this so well. Like, you can just see it in, like, every interaction he has with Sam that's about Cassie. You can just see, like, Dean was in love with this woman and, like, it would have crushed him when she basically told him that he was insane and, and to leave, I guess. Actually, there's this really great shot when Dean goes to speak to her by himself and they're in her mum's house and they're they're like leaning against each other in this doorway. And we get this shot that shows the whole room and there's like that physical space between them. And it's while they're talking about how they broke up and why they broke up. And it's right before they have that argument that leads to the shenanigans. I really love that shot. I thought it was a really interesting way to just really underline and emphasize that there is this huge unspoken kind of rift in between the two of them and it's sort of like who's going to cross it first but even uh one other thing I wanted to talk about is Dean told her the big family secret because he was young and he was in love with her and he wanted her to understand and he wanted to make it work. And then we get the response from Sam that he's like, I spent two and a half years or something doing nothing but lie to Jessica. And it sort of like begs the question, like, would Sam have ever told her, do we think? You know, and and also I suppose the question, who made the right call here? Like, was Dean right in telling her in telling Cassie, the woman that he loved and wanted to spend his foreseeable future with, about the truth? Or is Sam right in the idea of just keeping her entirely in the dark? But also that wasn't really Sam's choice. That's what he's sort of saying. Like, he didn't make this decision. If it was up to him and he had no other outside factors influencing him, he would have told her. Because he was saying he wanted to tell her But basically, like, Dean and John were, like, the number one family rule is we don't kill people. Yeah, but it's kind of like, you know, there are rules that say that I can't, I don't know, run a red light. Technically, there is nothing stopping me from doing that if I wanted to. Yeah, it was the family rule that they weren't allowed to tell anyone, but Sam could have chosen to break that rule. It's not like he hadn't made uh, broken other rules, like, don't leave your family behind. Like, he had left hunting you know, for, for in his mind, for good. So I guess there's really nothing to stop him from telling her. But then also in his mind, if he is left hunting for good, what's the point of telling her? I'm not trying to say that one was right and the other was wrong necessarily. I just think it's an interesting, like, I think it's interesting to think about the different choices they made and why. The music in this episode. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. So like, it's not egregiously bad. Like I'd hate some of the music choices, but like nothing... Nothing nothing was really killing me until they get to the bit where Cassie's mother 
is telling the story of her and Martin and what happened with Cyrus, mm-hmm. right? And it's like a flute solo behind them. And all I can think of is that bad recorder playing of like my heart will go on. Oh my god, Jamie. It seems like I oh. know what they were going for, but they just like missed the mark a little bit. And it was driving me insane that entire scene. I'm, I'm like, never going to be able to rewatch that without thinking about that now because I can hear it in my mind. This is such a heartfelt story. And it's like a, it's meant to be a really emotional scene. But then they've got this music and like I know what they were trying to do, but also like it's just not quite there. And it's like it kind of vaguely reminded me of like my heart will go on, like the recorder version. Um, it was a moment. Actually, one other thing that I really liked in it was one of those like funnier sort of like one line moments in the in the latter half of the episode when they're having that like discussion and they're chatting and like oh you know did Martin mention seeing anything and she was like oh you know he mentioned seeing something or he mentioned seeing a truck but you know that's like ridiculous or whatever and Dean's like because this is after Cassie's had her experience. And he just goes, well, after tonight, I think we can be reasonably sure he was seeing a truck. And, like, I don't know, just the way he said it made me laugh. Like, it was – I know that it's supposed to be, like, a serious scene and they're having, like, a – like, obviously, like, there are lives at risk and it's a very important topic. But it just came across as so funny to me, the way that it was, like, put across. Like, well, you're saying that he couldn't possibly have been seeing this, but I'm pretty – like, I think we have reason to believe that maybe actually he was. <laughs> to quote Sam – I miss conversations that didn't start with this killer truck. Um, Oh my God. I had the same quote that I wanted to bring up because I was like, yeah, that I miss conversations that didn't start with this racist truck. Oh my God. This is the sort of point I'm getting to now. um, I did have a point though. They have like at the end of the episode, Sam is driving. Confused the shit out of me because literally in skin, Dean allowing Sam to drive is one of the things that tips Sam off that he was a Doppler. And I think I mentioned in an earlier episode as well that, like, it's so weird for me seeing Sam drive because it, like, never happens. And it's true. Like, it's so rare that you see Every Sam drive. Every other writer got the memo, but Buck Fleming missed it. Yeah, literally. And especially seeing him drive the Impala. Like, Sam drives other cars, but the Impala is like, no, 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 that's, like, that's Dean's property. Jumping sort of through to getting onto, like, the climax of the episode. I don't know, we've skipped around a bunch. Um, but. That's where I'm thinking about now. So the climax of the episode, they have gone to pull the ute out of the lake, I guess. I want to know where the fuck they got that tractor from. Where? In, like, the middle of the night. Like, I just... The only thing I could possibly think is that they got it from the mayor because it's, like, the mayor's property. Do you know what I mean? But also, like, how did they get it from From wherever they got it to the lake? I have no idea. I assume they just drove it. Presumably, they have to drive on the road that the racist ghost truck is haunting to get to the lake to pull it out. And surely at this point, the racist ghost truck knows that they are trying to kill the racist ghost truck. Recognises them as a target, yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, I don't know. It was just one of those things like, oh, a convenient tractor. So I was just, yeah, I was confused about that. Like, did they Um, rent it? Did they steal it? Did they buy it? But also, how do they hook up the bloody truck? Oh, God fucking knows. I don't know. Like, did they go driving in the middle of the fucking night to hook up the truck? Because that's got to be at least deep enough for a truck to be completely hidden. And you would assume that it would be, like, a decent whack deep because if they had any sort of drought, etc., the truck still has to be covered in summer. But they also, like, obviously they never found the car based on the fact that it's still on the lake. But also it's been 40 years and surely they've had a summer where they, like, didn't get as much rainfall as they normally do. Like, how deep in the lake is the truck? 
There's a deleted scene where it's just Sam in scuba gear looking for the truck, trying to connect it. Do you think he tied his hair back for it? Do you reckon he put on one of those swim caps? Bald Sam natural. Yes, but what we do get from that scene is a delightful line. How the hell am I supposed to burn a truck? Which I love from Sam. And then Dean responds like, I don't fucking know. Just figure it out. And then he essentially goes on a fucking suicide mission, just gets in the car and goes. What gets me though is you just know, you know that Dean decided I'm going to be bait because he didn't want to deal with the logistical problem that is trying to burn a fucking truck. Yeah, he was like, it's I like... prefer to be killed by a racist ghost truck than work out how to burn the racist truck that became the racist ghost truck. Oh. My brain hurts just from listening to you say that sentence so many times. This is going to be like the pilot episode where like our face is woman burning to death on the ceiling. Take Um, a shot every time I say racist ghost truck. Don't. You'll end up in the ED. Anyway, we we get to the climax of the episode. We've kind of already talked about it. You know, they end up baiting the truck to drive over the holy ground and then it disintegrates. And I kind of want to talk about the wrap up of the episode where uh, Sam's in the car and they're saying, or Dean rather is saying goodbye to Cassie. It really is really awful. Like I I don't feel bad telling you, like we don't see Cassie again. Like she's not a recurring character. I don't feel like that's a spoiler really. A lot of these characters that we have in one-off episodes, like you look so sad. A lot of these characters that we get, they're just like, we never see them again, you know, except for fucking Jenny the Vampire. But um, that's the sort of joke I normally make. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, she's and she makes a point as well where she's like, look, I'm a realist. I don't think there's, you know, much hope for us or whatever. As and, much as we may like each other as people, we live such vastly different lives. It does not. Yeah. And it does make me wonder, like, what's she up to? What happened to Cassie? I hope she's having a good time. Cassie in Missouri. Oh, my God. Cassie in Missouri. The dream team. That actually would have been so fucking cool. We've seen Cassie throughout the episode. Like, she's really called him on his emotional deflection. And, like, she clearly knows him well. And it is it is really sad that they couldn't sort of make it work and at least stay in touch. Um, but I think, you know, it, it makes sense that they don't. So as much as I'm sad that we don't see her again, I'm glad that she sort of wasn't dragged back into the supernatural and we assume gets to live, like, a relatively normal, chaos-free life. But it does really bring it back to, like, damn, like... Poor Dean, like, he was really heartbroken by her. And it's, like, no wonder that he thinks they can't have friends. Like, it's no wonder he says to Sam, you know, a couple episodes back, you know, we can't have friends in this life. You can't let people get close to you. Like, because this is the experience where he did let someone get close and he let them in and he told them the truth and they completely rejected him. Like, after that kind of reaction. And then later on she did grow to accept him, but it's also, like, it was too late at that point. Like, they'd been apart for too long. And yeah. logistically, it's just like they weren't in a position where they could have tried to make anything work. And then Sam straight up asks him, he's like, you know, is it worth it? You know, you meet someone like her and do you ever think what we do and what we do with our lives, do you think it's still worth it? And Dean, like, straight up just puts on a pair of sunglasses and is like, I'm going to go to sleep and just doesn't answer the question. Read into that what you will. But it's a sort of a return to some of the questions that were asked in Skin and in terms of what Dean actually resents Sam for Mm. and whether he does, in fact, resent Sam for leaving the life and whether it's jealousy because Sam left the life or it's just straight-up resentment because Sam left him alone with John. Uh, Yeah, and I think it's 
fair to argue that there's room for both as well. It's also a recurring theme that we see even as late as season 15, this discussion that they're having on whether or not it's worth being in the life or if that's what they want or if they want to retire or if, you know, it's it's definitely an ongoing conversation they have for over a decade. And so it's, it's interesting to see sort of, I guess for me, to see where they're at at this point in season one. And bearing in mind, like, the last episode that we saw was Faith and Dean, like, straight up thought, well, I'm, like, 26, 27, I guess this is it. This is how I go. You know, it happen eventually. Yeah, and, like, that's, he's almost, like, resigned to it. And obviously he doesn't want to die, and he's, I would argue that he's quite scared of death. But, like, also he's sort of been like, well, I kind of figured this is how I'd go out. And, like, that's just depressing in itself. Like, it is what it is. Like, I helped mm-hmm. who I could help. But at the end of the day, like, I'm... This was always going to be the end for me. And, like, that's such a depressing sort of outlook for him to have. Okay, do you have any other thoughts, feelings, emotions that you would like to express at me like you normally do when we talk about Supernatural? I have a lot of them, but I feel like the vibe for this episode got really depressing. (laughs) I think we should uh, tie it up. It's also taken us, like, two hours to record this. and one thirty-four. One thirty-four, And I'm going to have to troll through it all for something usable. So... Good luck! (laughs) Thanks. Okay, so if you have nothing left to add, wonderful, then I guess it is time to ask you how to rate this episode. I don't have high hopes for the rating. (laughs) I'm going to give it a one star out of five. Okay, so it's worse than the pilot. It's worse than the pilot. It's the worst episode I've seen so far. It just seemed to forget that it was an episode that was trying to make a point. I probably would have given it one and a half stars, but the lighting is so bad that I docked an extra half a star. And the one remaining star is only because it has Cassie in it. The next episode is episode 14. It is entitled Nightmare. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, vibes, um, either just based on the title or based on where you think the plot might be going? I'm assuming it's something to do with, like, not a sleep paralysis demon, but, like, a sleep paralysis demon. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a cool take. Yeah, so Nightmare's, like, I'm assuming it's something that's hunting people while they sleep, messing with their minds. You're looking at me for approval, but I'm not going to tell you. Like, I'm just going to agree with whatever you say. That is really mean, Bethany. I just want to know how wrong my thought process is. But you've actually got a decently good poker face. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I'm a shit. It's a very it's... cool concept. Regardless if you're right or wrong, like the thing that you just said is very is very cool as a concept. So So Supernatural did not do it. They have cool concepts sometimes. This episode is not an example, but it happens. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed. If you want to engage with us about anything i guess you can find jamie over on twitter at driver picks pod um if you want to talk about the logistics of ghost cars with her i'm sure she'd be more than up for the task and if you want to find bethany she's over on our tumblr at driver picks the podcast and i'm really sure that she wants to know where you could hire a tractor on short notice to pull cars out of lakes yeah it's like really high on my list of priorities just like hit her hire. Give her some good recommendations for where to get them sweet, sweet tractors. You I can't know? even drive a manual. I don't think I'd be able to drive a tractor for sure. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening and we will hopefully have you back next week.